this past week, uh, the LifePoint staff, uh, as annually we, we do, we get away once a year for an all-staff retreat to really get in tune and uh, to be receptive to God and what he wants to do in our church and direction. And we spend time in prayer, uh, which is good. Uh, what, God, what do you want to do with our church? And he, man, he, this, this past week, he revealed some crazy, crazy things. Uh, I can't really tell you all the things that happened at retreat, because uh, if you did, you'd think we found some funny mushrooms in the, in the woods and kind of ate them and ran off somewhere. So it's crazy, crazy things, but uh, the, the, the clear, clearness of that is what God's going to do and what he wants to do at this church um, is something so huge that we are going to be dependent upon prayer to do that, absolutely. Uh, but what we're doing, uh, functionally, we're going through a, a total organizational assessment of our church. Uh, we brought in a, a member of our church who actually does this uh, for a living, an organizational assessment to find out, and, and are we really ready for all of this growth and change and what God's going to do? Are we ready for this? All right. Now, most churches, they, they do that when they're unhealthy. All right, they wait till they're bleeding before they go to the doctor kind of thing. We are doing this at a time, by, by typical church standards, we're very healthy. Uh, the dynamics, numerically, financially, spiritually at our church, they're very healthy. Let me, let me let you in on a global perspective of LifePoint Church. Keep in mind, we're five campuses, three uh, local, uh, and then we have two international there are 350,000 uh, Protestant churches um, across our country. Only 352 churches have the dynamics that we have or are larger in all of those metrics. Only 352. We're, in, we're amongst those 352 among 350,000. That is an incredible thing that we do not need to, 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 to blow past. All right, So we're doing that. We're doing this organizational assessment when we're healthy. All right, so that ought to tell you the heartbeat of our church that we aren't settlers. All right, we're not settling for things. We want to prepare and go more and see what God has ultimately got to do. But it is going to require prayer. It is going to be completely dependent on God to do this crazy work in our church. As we started to undercover in our series, uh, prayer is vital to our spiritual health as individuals and as a church. We all know that cognitively, but yet it's still neglected um, in our, our, our daily walk, and it's also still viewed as more of a, a duty or a discipline. That's, that's usually where the category falls in. Last week, we tried to start getting our minds around a, a delight in prayer, a desire to pray, a devotion to pray, a dependence on prayer. So we're trying to rework our minds so where we could be in a position to take this incredible invitation that God has pulled us into to actually pray to the Father, right? To delight in that. So we're trying to rework and, and get our minds. That's why we're calling this communion and kingdom. One of the other major reasons why we don't pray is because we don't know how to. All right? We don't consider ourselves to be prayer pros. If I were to ask you today, can you come on stage and lead a prayer uh, for the congregation today, many of you are going to freak out. Uh, I'm not equipped to do that. I'm, dis I'm discouraged. I'm scared to death to do that in front of the people. I don't know how to pray. Um, this is encouraging to you because Jesus' disciples had the same question, the same fears. Um, so don't be discouraged by that. They looked at Jesus 
And they had, they had a prayerful life. They had uh, three times a day as Jewish uh, men. They prayed repetitiously and they recited prayers. But they looked at Jesus and they said, whoa, he has something that we do not have. They were blown away by their ineptitude in their prayer life. They were so inadequate. What is he doing that we're doing? He's got something we don't. And they inquired to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. Today, we're going to see Jesus' response to that. You guys, Lord's Prayer is nothing new, right? We're not infusing a new topic today or something you've never heard before. But even though we cognitively know this, we still fall short in our prayer life looking like Jesus did. So that's what we're going to aim for today. Uh, Matthew 6 is where we're going to be. But let's pray uh, before we start out today. Father, we love you. You're a personal, intimate Father that clearly our, our cry out to you today is teach us how to pray. Not repetitiously, not reciting words, but Father, in an intimate way that declares relationship, that declares your holiness, where you provide our needs, we align with your wills, you deliver us from temptations and evils. Help our prayer life to align with your heart. And Father, forgive us because we've not done well at that. When I look at the warriors in Scripture, when we look at that, they, they have something that we don't have. So Father, I pray for a church that has a greater desire to pray like you did. Teach us how to pray Jesus. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. So Matthew 6, go ahead and get your Bible. I hope you brought a Bible. If you didn't bring one, I encourage you to bring one as you come in on Sunday. We want to walk through and, and teach through those things. Uh, so here's what I want you to know. Prayer is an instinctive thing. It is in our human nature as from birth to pray, to cry out to a supernatural being or a higher power. This has never been more evident. Look at the, the, the atheist who's on their deathbed, the cancer patient who's in stage four. The instinctively, we want to cry out to a greater power. But prayer is only effective for followers of Jesus. Only. All right? So if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you've never declared him, take ownership of my life, own it all. I'm under your authority and your control. That kind of relinquish of power. If you've not done that yet... Then this is going to be kind of awkward because I'm getting ready to sit you down with a stranger and you are not going to know who you're talking to, right? You need a new heart to do this and you don't have one yet. And that is designed, I say that to you because I wish someone would have told me that a long, long time ago, that you need Jesus to make your prayers effective, really? A relationship with Christ, I have to have that? Yes, you do. And I wish someone would have told me that and loved me enough to say that to me. That is not to say, hey, you can't pray today. What that's supposed to do is stir up affections for Jesus. I want Jesus. I want him. I don't have him. And you can have an effective prayer life, but you must have Christ. All right? So Lord's Prayer is how we're going to do this. Um, and in this text, we're going to see today uh, that we don't want to take uh, passages out of context. Now, here's sometimes we use a language where we hear Jesus saying things like, uh, man, asking it, well, asking it will be given. 
pray this and you will receive. That language, every time Jesus says that, he's talking to disciples, not the world, not the crowds, specifically followers of Jesus, and he is a necessity in our prayer. So um, there's some couple things we want to talk about in preparation for uh, prayers. The first thing is there should be preparation for prayer. We don't go into a prayer uh, uh, communication with God rambling, chaotic, without order, uh, without thought, without preparation. No one, we don't go into it thinking, scrambling all over the place. We come into a prayer commune with God in such a way that we were uh, maybe like a, a soldier calling out to a commander, here are my coordinates. I am communicating specific things to you. I need help. Uh, there's a calmness. There's, a, there's an order and not just rambling panic kind of thing going on. Or like a, a, a hunter who, who's in the woods and they've got a sniper and there's focus. There's deliberate aim uh, towards the target. They're not erratic. So we approach prayer. Uh, Psalm, uh, David says in Psalm 5.3, we approach it in, in preparation and not just rambling erratic things. The second thing that we see in prayer is order. All right, the Lord's Prayer, also called uh, uh, the model prayer, which I, I, ref, I prefer the model prayer because here's why. In this prayer, uh, it, it, down in verse, I believe it's in 11, it says, forgive us our debts. Right? Well, Jesus didn't have any debts. So he's not praying this and, and, and saying that, calling out. He had no sin, so he didn't need to do that. He's simply modeling a prayer for us. He says, pray like this. Not, uh, not this. All right? He didn't say pray this. He says pray like this. He says it's not a reciting mechanical repetition over and over and over again. And then you and God are cool. All right, That's not what he's doing. I, I, I've told you guys this before, but I played basketball in college. And, and what we did is we prayed the Lord's Prayer before every game. It was more like a good luck charm. We did it so fast that no one had a clue what we were doing. Um, and, and, the, and then the hope was... That he would make us win. And I, I personally had no clue what I was saying. I could recite it in my sleep, right? But I had no clue what I was saying, no clue what it meant, and I had no clue who the God that I was praying to, all right? Maybe that's why he didn't answer my prayer to be in the NBA, because I didn't know him, all right? It was either that or because I was a six foot one white guy, I'm not sure. All right, so in this, in this passage, here's what I want you to see there are six petitions. All right, six laid out in this petitions. There's three. The first three are petitions to God. God, you are this. God, you are that. God, this is you. That's the first three. The last three are man's needs. This is what I need, God. This is who you are. Now, the last three, I need these things. We need these things. We need these things. We depend on you, God. So here throughout the passage, read through where those six petitions are in the Lord's Prayer. And let's engage um, with the first one here. Pray then like this, not this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Two petitions out of the gate. Our Father. So first, there is a declaration that we're praying to a, a Father in the language, the interpretation. This is, a, this is a personal relationship with an intimate God. Like a child to a Father, he says, my Father. And if you get this, this will revolutionize your prayer life. And it will take it out of the realm of ritual into a, a relationship. 
intimacy, approaching him not mechanically, not in some interpersonal way. He's a personal God who went to the cross with your name written on his heart if you're a follower of Jesus. Personal, not all the people. You personally, you have a personal God and you have a personal relationship if you are a follower of Jesus. Approach him in a personal way. The problem is, is we become, we enter into that relationship and we really don't know how to communicate with our father because we really don't know him that well. So there's like an awkwardness. Okay, do I say God? Do I say Lord? Am I saying Jesus? Am I saying Holy Spirit? I don't really know how to pray to him because I really don't know him, so I don't communicate well. Uh, Let me use this illustration. We have a, a family here that, uh, uh, Brent and Amy Holman, and about a year ago, a little over a year ago, they adopted five boys from Ethiopia, uh, five brothers. Yes, I said five brothers from Ethiopia. Uh, they, they, inv- they, they adopted these boys. They were not born into the family. They were chosen. They were adopted. They, had, they could not choose and go seek out the Holman family. The Holman family sought them out to be a part of their family. Well, they come over, they get into our country, and they speak a different language from everyone. They speak a different language from the Holmans. There's a communication problem. They, they, they struggle in communication, and because they're not talking well, there's not trust with the, with the parents or trust with the people, all right? But as they begin to know their father, right, and, and their mother more, the parents and the people, then they begin to be able to communicate better with them. Then they begin to trust them all the more. The relationship is being built and restored, and now there's communication, right? Sometimes there's probably too much communication now. They're probably like, well, just stop talking, okay? But the point is, is when you start to know your father, when you study your father, when you engage in knowing the heartbeat of God to enter a personal relationship with him, then you can start to talk to him like a dad and not mechanical repetition, not, not this formal language that we're just awkward. Okay, what do I say? I, this is really strange. Like my kids, my kids do not come up to me and say, Father, I beseech thee to consider to partake in the acquisition of an Xbox One. All right? They don't talk that way. If I did, I'd be like, who are you and why are you talking like King Arthur? This is not the round table and this ain't Sir Pizza. All right? So... Talk to me like a child, and they say, Dad, uh, can I have some money? All right, they do that one quite often. Dad, can you help me? Dad, why is this this way? Dad, can I go to a friend's house? Dad, why are you so cool? All those things, all right? (laughs) Intimacy. And then every time that they do, I, I always answer them. Always answer my kids. Sometimes it's yes. Sometimes it's no. And sometimes it's not now or not yet. All right? Sometimes that is the answer. Uh, now, they may tell you a different story. Okay? My kids might say that's not the case. But here's let me tell you something about pastor's kids. They're little liars that need grace too. All right? So they're no different. But the point is, is that we, uh, we as Christians... All right, come back. Sorry. Uh, um, the point is, is we, we say the same thing to God. We say... God, are you going to answer my prayers? And God always answers the prayers of his children. Always. Sometimes it's yes, 
Sometimes it's no, and sometimes it's not yet or not now. He always answers the prayers. All right, so this week, if you prayed to win the lottery, he did answer your prayers. He just said no, okay? Unless uh, I don't know that you guys did, y'all holding out on us. Uh, but the point is, he's always answering. Let's, let's keep going because he's more than just that. He's more than just that. Some of us project, here's, we struggle, and let me tell you how we struggle. We project our own uh, definition or demonstration of our earthly fathers onto God. Some of you have, have, have had, man, you've had fathers that, that just, they just took off. They left you. They jetted. They abused you. They neglected you. They were cold. They didn't care for your soul and point you to Jesus. And my heart always goes out to you. But here's what I want to give to you is a, a moment of encouragement. You are not defined by your earthly father. No way. No story, no act, no nothing that has impacted your life that your earthly father could overcome who your heavenly father is. He is greater than all things. Don't victimize who you are. God is greater than all of that. He defines who you are. Fathers, an encouragement to you. Model God, your father, to your kids. Point them in the most loving way to a father who will not do the things that you've done and not fall short, will not be in a bad mood when he comes home from work, who spits fire with his mouth sometimes, who ignores his children. Those are things that we do as dads. We struggle. He never will. So spend a lifetime doing the most loving thing for your children and pointing them to their eternal father forever, right? He's never going to leave them. They'll never lose them, right? They'll lose you on this earth, but they will never lose their eternal father. Let's keep going. Then Jesus says this. We've learned an intimate side of his name. And now, let's go back to nine. Now we see that there's a different side of God, who he is. Hallowed be your name. Second petition. Your name is holy. That's what the word hallowed means. Your name is holy. So he's not only intimate, now he's He's holy. So you approach God in such a way that there's great fear and great reverence for who God is. He's perfect. He's sinless. He's not like you. He's not cute and cuddly. He is a God to be feared and, and have great reverence over all things. So don't call him your bestie or your bro. Acknowledge who he is for who he is and declare that in your prayer life. God, you are holy. I don't deserve to be in your presence, God. But yet you invite me in. Declare his reverence. Acknowledge who he is. All right? Let's keep going in Matthew 6, 10. And let me tell you the, the other thing, too, where he differs in our human. Uh, he is a, he's like an earthly father, but he's also not like an earthly father. As I mentioned to you, we struggle. We fall short all the time. Right? I, I can only be in one place at one time. God is everywhere. He's all around. I, I don't know tomorrow. I don't know what it holds. He's already there. He's already done that. He, he's already been written in his life, the sovereignty of God. I can't control creation. All right? As a dad, I can't control creation. I think we understand that. I can't even control the remote control at my house. I had to watch Project One Way last night. Right? But here's the deal. God has not let anything 
fallen on your life, but also fallen on this earth that has not passed through his sovereign hand. He is over all of those things. So you lift that up to the God that whatever's on your heart today, whatever's on your heart every day, that nothing you are walking through today is bigger than God that he does not know and cannot control. Understand that. You trust that. You're declaring that he is holy above all things. Let's keep going. Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. What does Jesus mean, your kingdom come? Well, here's what it, kingdom come means. It's both now and not yet. So there's two folds to the kingdom. Not yet means we earnestly pray and await eagerly for God's kingdom to come now. We want it to be, we, we want to live in a world there is no disease, no sickness, no allergies, no diabetes, no sore throats, no cancer. We want that to happen. And we invite it in. Jesus, come quick. Jesus, come soon. That's what the followers of Jesus pray. Not, oh man, I'm not ready for Jesus to come back. Well, I hope he takes a little bit longer. I need to get my stuff together. Man, if that's you, you're in a dangerous place. Followers of Jesus, they cry out to God and say, Jesus, come quick. But here's what it also means. It's your kingdom come now in the hearts and reigning in the lives of the believers on this earth. So Christ followers fight. They engage in a war. They don't get into a Bible bunker and just disengage from the world and wait for everything to happen until Jesus finally comes back. We engage in kingdom here like it's going to look in heaven. In the kingdom of heaven, there is no racism. There's no terrorism. There's no addictions. There's no abortions. There's no, uh, there's no sex trafficking. There's none of those things. So on earth, we fight. We engage in all of those things because that's what the kingdom is going to look like. We pray for God's kingdom to come now and reign in the hearts of believers now and not yet. And he also says this, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. Think about that for just a moment. In your prayer life, the prayers that you, 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 you submit to God in that invitation, are you praying for His will to be done or your will? How is your language? Right? Now here's the cool thing about Jesus. He modeled, He not only gives us the model for this prayer, but He gets it to the Garden of Gethsemane when He is going to face the cross All right, it's coming. And now it's like, okay, Jesus, you told us to pray for the Father's will, but are you really going to do this? All right, you're getting ready to go to the cross. You're getting ready to suffer the wrath of God. When Jesus prayed to let the cup pass from him, he wasn't praying to be delivered from a crown of thorns and nails in his hand. He was praying that the wrath of God would not come upon him, that he would not absorb all the wrath that was getting ready to come, that he would be separated from his father. That's what he prayed for. But he knew it was a necessity for the redemption and the forgiveness of sins for the believers. So how did he finish his prayer? After he said, let this cup pass, he says, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. My will says no way, right? Your will says I don't want this. God says it's for my greater good. It's for my purpose. Do you trust ultimately that God's will is better than your will? If you do, your prayer life is going to look radically, radically different. It's not about changing God's mind. 
It's about aligning our own hearts to God's will. That's the whole idea of prayer. Martin Luther says this, quote, about prayer. He says, Lord, I will have my will of thee at this time. Think about that. He says, I will have my will, is what Martin Luther said. You're like, what? What's he talking about? He follows that up and he says, I do because my will is thy will. He says, my will is going to be done because I've properly aligned it with your will. So it's going to be done. Do you pray for that? And I hope that you do. I hope that you trust him enough to do that. Let's keep going in Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Specifically, in this context, he's talking about the manna, the food, the bread that he would give to the people. But for us, this is not consistent with just food because we don't typically have to sit and pray that God would provide us food, do we? We don't typically do that. We're more on the lines of, hey, can you pray me to stop eating so much food? I need to eat less. All right, so here's what this passage means is, would you please give us our daily needs? Would you provide our physical needs, our spiritual needs, our emotional needs? Let me take you back to creation for just a moment and think about it in this context. Adam and Eve breathes life into humans. Well, he gave Adam and Eve a desire for thirst, physical thirst, all right? So they had a parched throat. They needed something to pacify their thirst. Why did God do that? Why didn't he just say, you don't need that. Here, you just, you just are who you are. Why did he create it that way? Here's why he did. So they would have a thirst in them. He would provide the water to meet their thirst. And they would sit back and say, I had a need. God provided the water. I worship him greatly because he satisfied the need in me. The same thing with physical hunger. Why, why would he give you a hunger for food? Right? Why, why can't he just save money? We didn't have to have any food. He gave you a hunger and an appetite naturally in you. So then he could turn and say, I'm going to satisfy your appetite. I'm going to give you food so then you can say, I gave you these needs. I created a desire in you so that you could get your needs met and that you would worship God when you eat food. Thank you, God, the provider of these things. I say all that because God inclines us to pray because he intends on meeting our needs. When we call out, we cry out to God. He wants to put us in that position. Give them something, make them lack so they'll cry out to me and then I can give them what they need and they would scream the glory of God. That is the, that is the idea. Now, daily needs is definitely not greeds. That's a different determination of those things. Clearly, it's not greeds. If we were to uh, project your prayer life or my prayer life upon the screens and we were to look at it, would you say you're praying for your needs or your greeds? What does it look like? I pray for a million dollars or do I pray for God to provide for me financially where I will not need to struggle? God, I pray that you would give me that brand new 2016 blinged out SUV, everything. Or do you pray, God, would you provide reliable transportation so I may transport back and forth, earn an income, provide for my family, and give you glory? Your needs or your greeds. Our prayer life is like a, a diagnostic MRI. Right? It's either going to reveal there's nothing, it's, it's healthy, it's pure, or it's going to reveal some infectious disease in us that needs to be treated. 
tells us a lot about each other when we can think about what our prayer life looks like. Let's keep going in Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now this is not, Jesus is not saying that it's a, this is a conditional salvation. That if you are going to be justified, you are going to need to forgive other people and then I will forgive you. Or that you need to continue to ask for forgiveness from God so that you may be made right. That is not what this is saying. At the moment of your conversion, you were justified before God. You were made perfect forever. You never have to ask for salvation ever, ever again. So that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is come to the Father, forgiveness so your relationship will be undefiled. It will be pure with me. Confess, forgive us our debts, Father. In our natural, born, created state, when we offend people, we run from them, don't we? Think about, where. They, let me tell you where that comes from. Adam and Eve. Offend God, right? Spit in the face of God. I know better than God. Rebel against God. And what did they do? They ran from God. So you and I, when we offend people, we naturally want to run away from them. Maybe you... Sin out of anger, you've gossiped, you lashed out at someone, you want to run away from them. So if they go to the 9 o'clock, you go to the 1030. If they go to the 1030, you go to the 9 o'clock. Or you just bail and you leave the church. Side note, before you ever leave a church, get on your knees and get on your face and pray to God. Get direction. Is your emotional jack you all up in there? Right? Is God calling you to do that? But the purpose is of understanding all of this is, is that we don't, we don't pray, we don't delight in prayer because we don't think God delights in us and our shortcomings. We mess up all the time. And what do we want to do from God? We want to run away from him. Surely God is not pleased. He is disappointed in me. So I'm not running to my father. He is disgusted by my behavior. We run away. The hypocrite, here's what the hypocrite does. Hypocrite runs from the master like a slave who's getting ready to get whipped. The true heir of Christ runs into the arms and finds shelter in the father who's going to discipline them. Even, even kissing the hand that disciplines them. God's children don't run away. They run too. They run home. And we just instinctively don't want to do that. So where does that stay rooted? How do we stay rooted in that? Well, it goes back to the gospel. That's the lifeblood of our church. You go back to how you were saved, all right, before the foundation of the world, before you even sinned your first sin, God had already predetermined that you were going to be his. So when he called you, he didn't look upon you and say, I see a lot of potential in this one. They're going to do a lot of great things in 10 years from now. He didn't look and say, well, it wasn't that bad. Uh, I, I, I think they can do better. Or they, they've done a pretty good job cleaning themselves up. They look pretty good right now. They're trying really hard. I think I'm going to choose, you, choose them now. God's not looking at you now and saying, man, if I could take all this back, I would take it back in a heartbeat. I didn't know when I went to that cross that you would be doing this. I wish I could take it back. That is not what God has done. He says, I knew you, and I, when you were offensive to God at your worst offense, that's where he found you, right there. Your worst, your most horrible rebellion of him. He says, that's where I want you. 
That's the perfect time because I want you to always remember you didn't do anything. It was all me. Our forgiveness is rooted in the gospel so that when we offend God, we run back to him because we were never good to begin with. We don't run away. We haven't surprised him. His penalty, the sin, the sin that he paid on the cross, the penalty, it was for past, present, and future sin. So he knows. Now here's what I do want you to know and understand. God does not delight in your sin, obviously. He doesn't say, oh yeah, this is going to make him come to me. That's not what he does. But here's what he does do. He delights in his children running to him to confess and repent. Think about that for a second. He actually delights in you doing that. Not just, okay, get back at it, I forgive you. Yeah, it's, I delight in you. I love you. Thank you for coming to me because I've seen everything. You didn't hide from me. I know what you're doing. You can't hide and turn the lights out. I know exactly what you've been doing, and yet I delight in you when you run to me like a child who's been disobedient to a father. There's love. There's compassion. That is the relationship that we have with God, and it is gospel-rooted forgiveness. Then he talks about forgiving others. As I just said, this is not conditional. This is not if you forgive, uh, if you forgive all these people, then I'm going to forgive you. That would be a man-centric gospel that says, okay, I'll save you if you do this. That's kind of like works. If you, if you do these works, then I'm going to save you. And that's not right. It's not based upon anything that we do. He's saying that forgiven people, forgiven people forgive other people. Right? That's what we do. If we've been forgiven, if we know that the gospel says that God forgave us at our worst, then we are able to extend that to people who we think don't deserve it. Right? None of us will be able to stand before God and shake our fist and say, I deserve your grace. I am good enough to walk and be in your presence. None of us. So when you understand that and you publicly declare to God that says, I'm rebellious, I don't, I, don't, I don't deserve any of it. I deserve wrath, judgment, punishment, whatever it had coming to me, I deserved it. And then God came in and gave you grace then you can extend it to other people. It's gospel-centered forgiveness. But it's tough for us because we don't really know what forgiveness means. When we have to extend it to other people, horizontally, we struggle because we say, well, if I forgive them, they're just going to think it's okay. Well, forgiving other people doesn't diminish sin. If they diminish sin, then it would diminish the sin that Jesus paid for on the cross. So it doesn't, mean, it doesn't diminish what they did wrong. Right? It also doesn't mean that you have to reconcile relationship with people that you've offended or they've offended you. You don't have to reconcile. You just have to forgive. All right? that, that trust over a period of time, if you want to reconcile that relationship, you may or you may not. That's not conditional. All right? Some of you say uh, you've heard the, the old adage, the old saying, forgive and forget. Well, that sounds really nice, but it's not biblical at all. You don't forget what people do to you. Right? You don't forget that. There's pain involved. There's real life pain. But you do forgive because here's what happens if you don't. You get bitter. And in our prideful state, we say, I'm not going to forgive them. They don't deserve it. They did me so wrong. They don't deserve any of it. Well, if they come to me crawling on their face, 
then I'm going to forgive them. Right? It's crazy. Did you do that with God? Did God forgive you in spite of that? Did you make the first move? Or did God call you? Right? You extend it to other people because it's been extended to you. And when you hold on to bitterness, it makes you a miserable person. I've been there. You're not, you're not, with, you're not doing anything to, to, to control the other person. Right? Sometimes we withhold, like, I'm going to make them pay. I'm, I'm going to make them really think about this. Well, let me tell you what. As they're doing that, you are too. You're holding on to bitterness. It's eating you up at your core. And it is, it is enslaving you, not the other person. There's freedom in Christ to forgive because you've been forgiven. Let's wrap up the last passage. 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, we need to be clear here that God never tempts us. He doesn't dangle sin in front of our face like a fruit that looks really, really good. Take a bite. That's Satan. But can God test you and put you in positions? Absolutely. Absolutely. Will he provide ways out for you and deliver you from evil? Yes, he can do that. And that is why we must pray earnestly that God would protect us to get out in front. The best defense is a good offense. To get out in front of it and say, God, there's evil in this world. Satan is present. He's real. He's not fictional, people. Get out in front of it and say, God, would you protect me from the evil one? Yes, you need to have protections in your life. You need to have people hold you accountable. You need to stay away from places and people that cause you to struggle. But the best approach is to cry out to God with a a prayer life that says, I'm dependent on you. God, would you get out in front of me and would you protect me and would you lead me away from temptation and would you deliver me from evil? That's a dependent people. The guys are going to come out and we're going to finish up here. Here's what I want to do today. I said this a little bit earlier, um, man, as, as, as the effectiveness of prayer and what it means. Man, if you've never humbled yourself in a moment of your life to the point where you said, God, I deserve your punishment. I don't deserve your grace. I deserve punishment. I deserve your wrath. I deserve separation from you. Lord Jesus is the only way that I can get your grace, take ownership of my life. If you've never done that, you can pray that prayer 20 times a day and it means nothing. It doesn't mean anything. You cannot pray that prayer with an old heart and you need a new heart. And I said that early on that it's supposed to stir you up. To want more of Jesus, not withhold prayer from you. God hears all prayers. I want you to know that. He hears everything. He's, he's, he's sovereign over the world. But he didn't promise or bond himself to answer any prayers of people that have rejected his son. So that's what you need. Your cry out today is not the Lord's repetitious prayer. It's, I need Jesus. That's it. That's all you do. If you want to talk more about that and talk through, just find somebody in the back of the room when we get done in just a prayer. Because I'm getting ready to lead you uh, and lead to a prayer that disciples only pray. And it's the Lord's Prayer. And here's what I want to do. I just want you to bow your head where you sit. And I want you to think through this prayer. Not reciting repetitiously, but think through the words that you say, the words that come out of your mouth. 
heartfelt emotion, declaring all of the order in that. You are personal, you are holy, God, your will, all of the, the, the pieces, the metrics of that prayer. Think about that and earnestly pray to the Father right now and include that and fuse that in your prayer life and watch your life be radically transformed and this church will not be ignored in, uh, in Smyrna. We love you and let's pray real quick. Father, we submit to your teaching on how to pray. In a moment, our believers, our followers of Christ are going to cry out in a prayer that I hope you feel warmed and delighted, smiling upon us as they cry out to you in an intimate way. Would you feel us? Father, with this prayer today, this teaching, not in with today, there's nothing a sermon could do to manufacture a prayerful life. So we invite the Holy Spirit to take up root to help us to start to pray like this every day, all day, throughout the day. We love you. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.